Okay, yeah. so whenever you're ready, go ahead and do take one. This is Mark Aylward from Seven Pillars, and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, reminding you to dream big. I think you should do it again and screw up a little bit so it's funny. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me hit stop. I'll be right back. Okay. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Oldani. Am I saying your name right? Oldani. Oldani. Laura Oldani. Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? Very well. I'm happy to be here with you. So what's the weather like over there in Gulfport, Florida? Well, it is August. <laughs> yes. In a coastal Super muggy. town in Florida. <laughs> so yes, it's very muggy. And very hot. And we've experienced much of the heat wave that, you know, other parts of the United States have been, other nor parts of the Northern Hemisphere have been experiencing. So right. even hotter than, you know, what it usually is. But, um, you know, every person I think has weather that suits them. And I made my weather choice and I'd rather <laughs> have this than some other weather. <laughs> I'm with you. At least it's not Michigan. That's what I'll say. Yes. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So uh, I will talk more about weather in Vegas, but you are at richandresilientliving.com. So talk a little bit about what you're most excited about in life, business, and in general today. Sure. Uh, well, so I'm a green living and money coach, and I am trying to help people align their money with their values, not only their money, but their lifestyles as well. I really, for me, money is a lifestyle design tool. It's mm. not the end goal. And I'm trying so to true. help people use their use money as a, a green lifestyle design tool as a way to, um, you know, a tool we can design the better world we know is possible with, you know, beyond just Philanthropy, that's very little of what I, I help people with or talk about. And I, in terms of excitement, I just think that there's more and more interest in that line of thinking, that line of work and helping right. people through it. Last year, I co-wrote a book called Growing Free. And the free stands for financially resilient and economically empowered. Nice. And, so, you know, that's a kind of a spin off of fire. Some people, yeah, you yeah. know, you as an early retired person, yeah. Jeff may, may know that <laughs> financial independence retire, retire early. early. Right. And, and so, um, you know, so many people pursue that in ways, you know, that put their money to work, almost negating the future that they're preparing for, you know, investing in the, the stock market right. in um, the in re real estate portfolios that are exacerbating affordable housing issues, you know, to have a rental property portfolio. And it, I mean, I understand why people walk down that path. It's, um, you know, it gets them out of the workforce earlier. It's what we're taught to do. But there's so much more we can do with our money um, to build wealth. And there are other ways we can build wealth to compensate for maybe having a little bit of less, a little bit less money in our portfolio, because 
money is again only one lifestyle design tool and it's only one retirement planning tool or leg of the stool that you want. If you only have a lot of money in retirement, you're basically a lonely miser, you know, and so, <laughs> so true. <laughs> and so I, I talk about a more holistic and expansive view of wealth. I love, you know, this. I love multiple it. forms of capital beyond yeah, just yeah. finance. So, so yeah, mm. I'm excited about promoting the book, getting more people, you know, helping them achieve free versus fire so that again, they can step out of the nine to five work world, if that's what they're struggling with, you know, and feeling overwhelmed with, mm. but doing by doing it in ways that, you know, is putting their money to work, um, investing in things that are healing people and planet, and then finding work for themselves to do that contributes to that, you know, because I think there's a lot of um, people who get to retirement, especially early retirement, and they haven't really come up with a meaningful plan for themselves, you know, especially if they've retired early. And there's so much work that needs to be done to address our major environmental and social challenges. And people can create amazing livelihoods and lives for themselves doing this work. And that's what I want to help people do. That's awesome. And and I need that help because, you know, (laughs) I I would say like all those people out there that are working on the big fire number, right? (laughs) Which, you know, oh, I got, you know, maybe five more years to go and I'm going to do it. You need to really start planning now as to what you want to do when you're done, right? Because mm-hmm. the money thing at, after you've done it is the simple part. It's right. I yes. know you're nodding your head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for the audio people, she's yes. agreeing with me. Yes, it is. It really is. It's like the now what? Okay. You know, so yeah, totally. And this whole thing about like just redesigning your whole life around, I, you know, whatever you want to, what's important to you, but I think we can all agree that there's lots of things going on in the world that need work like climate and, you know, social Mm -hmm. responsibility and all these different things. Right. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. But before we do that, (laughs) this is room from fear. So that means we have to get your story out of you and all those rooms and fears. So I know you grew up in Michigan, but what was growing up near Flint like for Laura? (laughs) Well, at that time, there was no suspicion that the water was questionable. I'm old enough that (laughs) that that wasn't at least a much talked about issue that was on the, you know, being talked about among most residents. But, you know, for me, it was a pretty middle class conventional upbringing uh, with, you know, a younger sister, parents who were married and in the same household Right. I, okay. uh, you know, we did, so it was in Michigan. I was only in Michigan up through, um, the middle of high school, but some, one of the major things I life shaping for me in my Michigan childhood, um, that definitely plays into vroom, vroom, veer, you know, I was like your typical, most teens, it's it's hard not to fit in as a teenager. It can make it, you know, yeah. uh, much more challenging. I, I'm, I think everybody goes through that. Even the people that yes. we thought were fitting in yes. were struggling with it too. <laughs> yes. I, and everyone struggles with something, everybody. even yes. if it's not fitting mm. in. I, yep. I wish I realized that more as a child. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But so as, as, despite my desire to fit in and, you know, be popular, it wasn't that I didn't have friends and was super unhappy, but I was um, diagnosed with scoliosis when I was in junior high. So scoliosis mm. and kyphosis, those are both different curvatures of the spine. Right. And it was severe enough that I had to wear a back brace. And this was in the mid 80s. And so at that point, these braces were very bulky and mm. visible, you right. know, and so it was this metal frame with plastic pieces around my neck wow. and a big you know, there's metal pieces coming up my torso and then the plastic frame around my waist. And of course, I could get clothes large enough to fit over them, but it was really, you know, you couldn't miss the shape of the <laughs> I feel sorry for you because I'm, I'm imagining you walking around and people teasing you saying you look like a robot or something. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. Sorry, sorry. Children are awful, aren't they? Yes. (laughs) And whether it was direct and overt like that or just, you know, especially young children who didn't know what was going on, turning around and staring at me. Yeah. um, You know, which I understand. It's just, it's different. And I had short hair. I was often mistaken as a boy. Mm. (laughs) It was just, and so that really... In my case, with a combination of factors, you know, where I was socially and everything, maybe some people managed to to have the, you know, the friendships and the relationships and the popularity that they wanted to in high school with the Milwaukee brace. But that was not the case for me. And it ended up directing me more to a more creative circle of friends, you know, a, a group that was more on the fringes of that makes the... Sense the social high high school social scene. (laughs) And in that space, through that space, I got connected with some of the international students. I happened to go to high school then at a school that had a pretty robust international exchange program. Oh, cool. I, I got really interested in other cultures and just Loving, uh, you know, international cultural festivals, going to hear the the music, see the dancing and the wow. costumes and to eat the food. And I think that just was a very subconscious thing and you know, that has played a strong role in my life because when we did move, you know, that we eventually moved to Florida, which is where I am now, although I've lived other places since then. But that came with me. And when I went to college, I ended up majoring in international studies. You know, that was that was what I wanted. Well, I actually ended up majoring in international business, thinking that I wanted to be the CEO. But then I took an accounting class and hated it. And I realized <laughs> I love the international part, but I don't like the business part. So yes. I, I shifted to international studies. So that already was another veer. Right, <laughs> I right. I had wanted to be the CEO and realized that what I really loved was more like the humanities side of international affairs and studies. I, you know, I looked into political science. And then when I graduated college, the only job I applied for was the the Peace Corps, you know, which isn't really... That was what I wanted. That downgrades it, but I mean, not in the typical sense that people think of a job. I just, I wanted to go overseas. I wanted to have an adventure. I wanted full immersion in an international culture. I had studied abroad. I spent my junior year in college abroad in Spain. 
Ooh, and nice. it was fu- funny because I went to Spain. I got there. And the very first day, I was just completely overwhelmed by the language and and um, <laughs> jet lag, right. and I didn't understand the what the woman in the cafeteria at the dorm was yelling at me, and I didn't know how I was going to make it. And I called my mom and said, "I want to come home." <laughs> and, and, and the next time she called, I said, "Mom." Can I stay for the whole year instead of just the semester? <laughs> right. It didn't take I, long, huh? No, no. And I was, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I had such a wonderful time studying in Madrid. And um, in fact, when um, we graduated college, I got six of my girlfriends or so to go backpack through Europe with me. I, you know, I wanted more, more, more. Okay. <laughs> all, that sounds like fun. Of, <laughs> it was all of the international adventure I could get. And so then, um, I I did go into the Peace Corps. I liked that so much that I extended in my service and stayed for a third year. I was teaching English in a high school. I was in um, Southeast Poland. So there oh, was wow. a 10-year ten, okay. ten window when Poland actually had a Peace Corps program when there were a number of countries in Eastern Europe that had Peace Corps programs, okay. but they eventually graduated from the Peace Corps. And so I was there for that. And even once I finished my service, my Peace Corps service, I did not want to leave. I was thinking of other ways to stay. And I had a good friend who was in the Peace Corps with me who modeled it for me. She had only served for two years, but she went ahead and started studying journalism at a Polish university. Oh, wow. And so I didn't go full in on that to have like a specific major in a program for Polish students, but I did stay on at a different Polish university. I enrolled in a program for foreigners to study Polish language and culture for okay. one year. Okay. And so I got I got a certificate in Polish language and culture. And then after that, I was at the point, okay, I, I need to do something I more. I have to grow <laughs> up and have and get a real job kind of idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yes. There was, it was, it was some kind of feeling of that, but what I also what I really wanted to do, and again, I was modeling this friend in a way because she came back and did something similar. I, I went to grad school here in the U.S. And so okay. I, I went and got I had decided that I want I would benefit from getting a graduate degree uh, in my professional life. But I was looking for the lowest hanging fruit way yeah, to get amen. it. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. so because I, had, <laughs> I, because I had done my Polish studies in Poland and lived there for a number of years, I decided to get a degree in Russian and East European studies and basically just focus on Polish language and culture. So I never studied Russian language in okay. grad school, although I did take some Russian you know, philosophy classes and history classes. But that for me was, you know, an affordable way. I went to the University of Kansas and they had a pretty affordable out-of-state tuition program. And that was an amazing experience. I, I did That took me a year and a half. And okay. then, nice. yes, and I had a wonderful mentor who directed me towards the end of my studies to something called a FASEL fellowship that was offered then through the state department. I don't know if they offer it any longer. Okay. And it's a fellowship that sent people with um, 
needed language skills. So it wouldn't have been Spanish or French, but, you know, people who had less common language skills to work at embassies overseas. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was awarded the spot at the embassy in Warsaw. For wow. through this Facel Fellowship. That's like and perfect for you. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. I mean, some of my students were now living in Warsaw from when I was an English teacher. I had friends right. that Polish friends that were living there. Wow. You know, it was only Warsaw's only two hours by train from the town where I was a volunteer, so it was easy to stay. Wow. Nice. You know, to reconnect with with friends or continue the connection. You successfully kept the party going. <laughs> yes. And I did that for another two and a half years. Okay. So, you know, again, most people get out of grad school and maybe go right into the workforce. But for me, that was another significant veer was to accept the State Department fellowship and have that experience, that professional experience of working in another country and really taking my language skills up to a very high level. I mean, they've since <laughs> come back down because I don't use my <laughs> Well, if you don't use it, yeah, you lose it. Yes. Yeah. But um, that fellowship was wonderful. And it came, you know, with embassy housing, the same housing stock that, you know, our diplomats are offered when they're posted overseas. So it was just pretty nice. A yeah, a fan- yes. <laughs> I mean, it was a fantastic way to, to be overseas. I mean, I, I did have to do, you know, they offer these fellowships to people to do the grunt work, the visa work, you oh, know, where you're interviewing okay. people for their um, to, uh, tourist and immigrant visas to the U.S. But the last Six to nine months that I was there, I was able to do the public diplomacy work, you know, working with the press, working on cultural events, you wow. know, being the face of the embassy at parties and museum openings. And wow. that was just wonderful. Yeah. And then you're really speaking Polish. Yes. <laughs> yes. So your Polish must have been really good. Like you're mm-hmm. on TV speaking Polish. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. It really was. It was an exceptional experience. So if you don't mind, let me uh, indulge some curiosity. Mm-hmm. So let's get some stories about what it was like to backpack in Europe, like uh, in the 80s, I guess, 80s and 90s. What was it, it like? It was early 90s. Okay. And, oh, You gosh, could just it, ride the trains, right? You get that Euro rail pass. Yes. Yep. Yep. Right? We had the Euro pass right. and... We had a pretty um, good, we had a plan in place. It wasn't just, you know, and I'm not, nothing against going abroad this way, but we specifically had, you know, pretty places much. Places you wanted to hit. Yeah, we didn't know where we'd be staying in those places. We'd kind of find those hostels as we went along, although some of them we knew. We were reading like Lonely Planet books right. and Let's Go Europe. And if we read about a really cool hostel or something. Right. There was no know, internet and cell phones yet. Right. So, yes. Right. No. So you had to use travel guide books. Yes. And okay. it was so fun. I love oh, those totally guide books. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So where <laughs> so, did you get to go? Uh, we, um, so I think we flew in and out of Paris and that's we awesome. went to Barcelona. Barcelona. And awesome. I think that's the only place we went to in Spain. We did Southern France. So Marseille. And we went into Italy, although we split up and I veered, I veered away from the group on my own. <laughs> wow. I, I had met someone, I think, when I studied in Spain as a student 
who had been to Chamonix, France. And for some reason, I was captivated by the idea of Chamonix, which I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that beautiful town <laughs> up in the mountains okay. and Alps. But I wanted to go there. So I left the group and went there by myself. And fortunately, through some mishap, <laughs> we actually met up with each other again because we had the train schedules wrong Oops. <laughs> for us to meet up again. Wow. But we, we ended up finding each other. And the That's next amazing. Leg of, that is really amazing. Yes. And at that time, my, <laughs> yeah, my there's pa- no phones. You probably didn't have a phone number. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> wow. And at, the, at that time, my parents had a timeshare unit and they had gifted the timeshare to, to us, my, me and my friends, or let us buy it from them, just the maintenance fee. So we had a timeshare in Southern Italy for a week. Okay. And so we had to get together so we could all get to the timeshare together. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. I mean, uh, most people dream of that, right? Well, okay, maybe not most people. I know <laughs> I did. I didn't get to do it like backpack style, but I did get to travel around Europe when I was in the Air Force. So uh, it, it's awesome. Everybody should do it. <laughs> so like, I remember I was stationed in England. Have you ever been to England? Like in mm-hmm. the winter time? Oh, I don't think so. It's <laughs> good. That's good. <laughs> so we were lived, we lived in England, right? And you know, everybody tells you like, you know, England in the winter, you know, mostly no, no snow. It's not like Upper Peninsula, Michigan, where you're just dumped on and you feel like you're in the frozen tundra. That's not that. But it's dark, cold, and wet. And it's like they make the roads out of this light-absorbing material. It's like when you're driving around in the villages it's at night, it's like, oh, it sucks the life out of you. <laughs> so both my wife and I, that first year... We got that sad, that seasonal affective mm. disorder. We were really just bummed and got sick. And we we're like, what the hell is going on? And, uh, and the doctor actually told us, is like, you know what the cure is for this? I was like, what? Spain in the winter. <laughs> you see lots of Brits taking that medicine when you're in southern Spain in the winter. So, yeah, the first year we went to uh, Mallorca. And then the second year we went to Costa del Sol and they're nice. both awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you talking about that is reminding me that is part of the reason that I also decided to leave Poland at that point because um, after I th- it was almost seven and a half years in total that I spent there and I, I couldn't have explored ways to find a job and stay there. But one of the reasons I didn't is because it's a little different, but similarly, it's very dark there much of the year, like dark right. early and cold. Right. And I was finding myself way too often just wanting to stay in my apartment, you know, as opposed <laughs> to going sad. out and yes. being social. <laughs> right. A- and I just didn't want that for myself. I wanted to be compelled, you know, to yes. be social. And right. Be outside and get and outside. Doing yes. And, and just have more light in my life. Right. Amen. (laughs) That is, so now I'm going through that. So like I live in Las Vegas, right? Mm. So strangely enough, this year we're having a, like a really weird summer, right? So I've been here since 2018. Yeah. No, 2017. Um, And usually summer is just like you get to like mid-May 
and it's just like hot and sunny. Like, and all you want to do is just hide out in the AC all the time. <laughs> but this year has been great because we're getting a lot of that monsoonal moisture that is making its way north. Right. And so, yeah, great year, great summer. I'm enjoying this summer. I'm going outside. <laughs> wow. I know. You know, I'm, and the long-term plan is just to leave during the, the summer. But, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> but when you get lucky, hey, I'll take it. My, my wife's not quit yet, so I, I can't just leave and hit yeah. the road. She'd probably either kill me or leave me. But <laughs> hopefully she quits soon. Okay. So, all right. So let's see here. What else was I going to, I was going to ask you other questions. Would you, well, I can continue a little bit more if you'd Please. like me to keep going with my story a little yeah, bit yeah, more yeah. after, Please. after, you know, after finishing up at the embassy, working at the embassy in Warsaw with that fellowship, I moved back to the U S and I, I realized at that point I was after having lived in Spain and in Poland, I was in love with public transportation. I still am. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I, the only two cities I considered moving back to were D.C., Washington, D.C., and New York City. And DC, it just be Yeah, the trains in D.C. are great. The metro. Yes. Yeah, I know. And I was a little intimidated by the finances of New York, but... Um, so you in don't the need end, a car in New York either, but you, yeah, you have to be yeah. rich to live there, basically. <laughs> and I, you know, with the state having had a State Department fellowship, I knew people in this working in the State Department that were posted, for, you know, from time to time in D.C. So, and I think I had other friends living there already. So it felt like an easier place to move and put my skills and connections to work, building a future there. And so I started working for. I, I spent a couple of years working. I think actually in total, I probably lived in DC around 11 years. Okay. And I worked for two, primarily for two different nonprofits, one on an inter international education program and the other on primarily on early childhood education policy. Okay. And wow. both of them were, you know, very good jobs. I was so fortunate to always really like the people I worked with, mm. great teams. But it was a lot of travel, and especially in the end when I was working on early childhood education policy, well, I have come to believe it's very important. This from someone who at 16 years of age knew she didn't want to have children. Right, <laughs> but, okay. But I, I have a tremendous value, um, respect for early childhood education, but it just didn't it wasn't my calling, you know, right. and so between traveling a lot and just wanting, again, to start thinking about lifestyle design, and I was starting to learn about FIRE, I had discovered Your Money or Your Life, Vicki Robbins book, okay. yeah, yeah. you know, and things like that, and I was really trying to, to shift things in a different direction, and I also... Um, later on at that in that time in D.C., discovered something called permaculture, Okay. which is a kind of an ecological designer's toolkit that is used to apply the principles of nature to the way we design all aspects of our lives. That's what and permaculture means. Okay. Yes. I've heard actually, that word. It's permanent culture together or permanent agriculture. And it is most commonly used in landscapes 
You know, you'll hear permaculture gardens. People talk about their permaculture food forests. Okay. But there's actually, it's a rich toolkit for, like I said, all areas of our lives. And there's a seven petal permaculture flower and only two of those petals apply to, you know, land and landscapes. The rest, you know, there's spiritual permaculture, there's economic and financial permaculture, which is where I really dove in. Because at about that time that I discovered permaculture, uh, I had really started to question the ethics of what I was investing in. And, you know, I had been investing in the stock market. I had moved my money into socially responsible, you know, SRI or ESG, the environmental social governance funds. Right. But it still left my my money supporting sugary beverages and single use plastic bottles, financial institutions with predatory practices. Right. You know, all of these things that were perpetuating the problems and potentially destroying the future that I'm trying to save and plan for. Okay. And permaculture for me was a way to hear a different conversation about it. You know, in in addition to the landscape, I had I had a food forest in my Washington DC yard. I was wow. doing the more Yeah, I had a postage stamp size lot in Washington DC and I had it filled with Fig trees, peach trees, raspberries, blackberries. Wow. All know. in D.C.? Yes. Wow. Yeah, That's amazing. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but the for me, the money thing, I was like, what are people in permaculture doing about How do they invest money their money? And, right. And retirement planning. Right. And it was just, it's a completely different way of thinking about in investing it's a more again going back to the holistic wealth i referenced it's you know thinking more broadly about what we're investing in and like investing in things that so a word that gets used a lot in permaculture is regenerative right because yep. sustainable so if we think about sustainable that's great that's a start but it's very much sustaining so sustaining and maintaining where we're at. Status quo. Which, right. Yes. Which <laughs> right. isn't going to help that us at this much. point. Right. But regenerative is restoring, repairing, and rejuvenating right. people and planet. Because people are very depleted, too, these days. Right. So true. And so how do we... Nature and nature is constantly enriching itself through synergistic interactions and investments. Right. right. And so, how do we look to that? Because forests are constantly getting richer through these mutual activities. Yeah. Support. And so, how do we think more about that? And I, I learned along the way as well about something called slow money. Slow which com- money. Okay. Yes, and this comes from the slow food movement if people are some people might be aware of that it's a movement that started out of italy to get people to think more consciously about their food you know and it was where it started it from in, and yes it started in opposition to fast food so they started calling ah, it slow food i like it yeah. you know and let's pay, respect farmers and pay them what their food is really worth because cheap food you know so much of what is available isn't very good and the farmers don't get paid well enough often for the labor they're actually putting into food. So it, there's right. so much more to it, but right. it relates to slow food. And so slow money was people is people who are, have come together 
locally to invest in their local food shed, you know, to make loans in local to local farmers or oh, to nice. people who want to start local food businesses. But they understand that this is patient capital. So, you know, maybe it's not going to be a 10% return on investment. Maybe it's going to be, you know, a 3% return, a 5% mm-hmm. return, or maybe right. a, a 1 or 0% return. But there's this triple bottom line that you're looking at for like of not just the financials, but the people and planet. So it's people, planet, profit. Okay. You know, and so right. you're, maybe your financial return is going to be less, but you're going to have a more thriving, vibrant local community and economy. Right. And you'll have we all like want- healthier people, happier people, yeah. healthier food. Yes. Yeah. Happier we food. all <laughs> happier. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's, who doesn't want to live in a thriving, vibrant community? And yet, right. what do we do with our investing dollars? We send them to other communities. We send them out of our community. And if we're not investing in our communities, that's a, that's awesome. We're not going to get that. Uh, so it became a search for people and opportunities and ways people could people like myself because I'm not a wealthy investor you know I'm a non-accredited investor is the <laughs> official term and that's far more challenging to find these meaningful investment opportunities outside of the stock market if you're not an accredited investor and so it became a journey of researching and learning and reading and finding out what people were investing in and what tools existed. And I did make it to a slow money meeting when I was in San Francisco at one point. And that was where I learned about something called self-directed IRAs, because Mm. that was what the members of that um, slow money chapter, the Northern California slow money chapter were using to invest in the local food shed because most Americans, especially non-accredited investor Americans, non-wealthy Americans, That's to most the extent people. that yes, yes, I, to the extent that we have um, <laughs> retirement savings, it's in you know our retirement accounts. You right. know, it's in like reti- locked into a four hundred one k or something. Yes, right. And so most of these these people had moved their money. From, you know, their retired or their um, employer-based retirement plan or their brokerage-based plan into a self-directed IRA. And these self-directed IRAs allow people to make a much wider array of investments. So you could lend money to a new, to a local farmer or buy a share of a local food business. Oh, that's great. Th- legally through a self-directed IRA. Yeah. And there, there's so many mo- more things you can do as well. That's awesome. We so need that to was talk. A- yeah, we need to talk. That's a big veer, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so did you uh, immediately move all your uh, retirement money into these slow money things? You probably need to take, you got to be smart about that. Yeah. I I did dive in um, and create the account, but I didn't move everything. And yeah. even even then, like I I took probably two thirds of my employer based retirement plan and moved it into a self directed IRA. But even then, just moving it into that plan didn't mean I executed immediately on all the money because well, you have to for, find the right investment exactly. Yeah. And for me. My risk mitigation strategy is to make many small investments. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of small and bets. And so right. that takes time, again, <laughs> to find that many that are open to non-accredited investors that, you know, I feel comfortable with. You know, mm. I'm not a master or an expert in due diligence. Sure. And so it's just... It's almost like you have to get a peer group, right? Yes, which I, I did in a way because I found something called the Next Egg. Next and Egg. Okay. It, yes. So that's a play on Nest Egg. I like and it. And it's a it's a group <laughs> of awesome. people. It's yeah. a learning community that we each pay $10 a month to be part of and it's people who have self-directed retirement accounts and want to be investing them in reparative, restorative, regenerative ways. Neat. And so like when you find these investment opportunities, are they like is it like an ordinary kind of investment investment product, like an ETF or a mutual mm -hmm. fund? No, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I think okay. the closest thing to what most people who think of investing might think about or be familiar with is if they, they've heard of crowdfunding. Oh, crowdfunding. Okay. Yeah, like it's almost the crowd... like Peer Street for, uh, uh, for food. I, I, have you ever heard well, of Peer Street? They do like, yes. uh, like crowdfunding for real estate. Yes. And okay. so these are this is crowdfunding for businesses of all kinds. Like there's a platform called WeFunder we or Seed 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 Invest. Okay. And so all kinds of businesses who are raising capital, you know, apply to these different platforms to be screened and and hosted on the platform and right. that's that doesn't mean they've passed any significant level of due diligence, you know, right. just because one of them is a business is on there doesn't mean it's been vetted mm. and you know so you want to do your own due diligence. But when the first investments that I made through my self-directed IRA th were through WeFunder, I found a low-income neighborhood in Chicago that was raising requesting money uh, alone to okay. do a, uh, you know an improvement project in a, in this marginalized community, and so I lent money through there, and they've right. paid you know the interest back um, every month or every year. That's great. And I found a Native American food product that was seeking investors. So I invested in a Native American food product. I invested in a platform that helped facilitate communications between farmers and farm managers, okay. you know, the migrant workers. Okay, and right. they've done some really cool things since beyond when I invested in them to help migrants, you know, with financial literacy and managing their mm. money through apps. So, you know, I just screened for what felt more socially conscious to me. So that was the simplest um and first way I got in, I went into it and probably what most people can wrap their heads around. But then I just also started having conversations locally, you know, because really what I want to support, especially is my community. I want to invest right, locally. Where you live. Because, right. And so I found a permaculture farm here in the area with an interesting model, an ownership model, and I invested in that farm. And at one point, our longest operating organic farm here in Tampa Bay was at risk of um, being, you know, going under. It was a nonprofit farm or is a nonprofit farm, and it was at risk of being sold to developers. And a friend of mine who ha has a background in real estate and lots of connections stepped in, and, and he's also very interested in sustainability and wanted to save the farm. And he, a lot of people made low and no interest loans to him, and we saved the farm. You know, that's awesome. By putting, that's, putting that's, our money in. Yeah, that's a, a big win, 
right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. See, that, that's perfect because it's like you are, uh, you know, I, when you talk to people or actually if you watch TV or, you know, podcasts or whatever, a lot of times what I'll get upset about is when people complain, you know, about how things, have, things they don't like, right? That's only step one. <laughs> Right. You yes. actually have to do something about it, you know, and put your money where your mouth is. And you, you don't want to be stupid. You don't want to like go out and like throw away your money, uh, but you can do it smartly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did yeah. these, uh, did this farm work out in the end? Let's it hope. did. Okay, it good. Did. <laughs> We've all been paid back and okay, it was saved and right. it's thriving and yeah, so, it was probably it, just some sort of like they, they couldn't make the, the current payment. They couldn't bring it back up. They just had a a capital deficiency, as they say. <laughs> they were broke. Well, and they changed the management. You know, my friend who raised the capital stepped in and started helping to run the farm. Oh, that's good. And so I was paid back for the farm, you know, for the loan that I made. But also, and this was not even a thought going into it, but... I go out there every year almost and teach a class there and I earn money teaching a class there, you know, and if the farm had gone under, mm. you know, that would be one less there opportunity and venue for me to go out and, and earn money and yeah, <laughs> earn money another way. That's the, that's the definition of regenerative. So you took some money and put it in, you saved a thing and then that thing is making you money. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I know we're getting close to wrapping up. We got about maybe ten minutes left. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on this? Um, uh, have you ever heard of an Earth ship? Oh yes, yes. I've actually stayed in an Earth ship. Aren't they awesome? Uh, they're awesome. <laughs> uh, and the the site in Taos, where right, I forget, right, right. My, is it Michael? I forget yeah, his last name. I can't name. remember his name, but he, I, I have a buddy who's working based... out in Taos right now. Okay, <laughs> right. So yeah. I used to, when I was working on early childhood education issues, I was working in New Mexico a good bit. And so one time I stayed after and had my mom come out and join me and arranged for us to spend a couple nights in one of the Earthships rentals they have on, right. at the site there. And I loved it. It was funny. My mom could not wrap her head around what it was. And she's like, are you taking me to an ice hotel? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, let's let's describe for people what an Earthship is. Sure. So they are um, structures built very ecologically they yeah. are often rammed like part of it is in the side it, it, it works best in certain topo- topographies right you need you know, a here in earth. florida yes they're not we really don't have a successful earthship here in florida but when you can build it so that like one of the walls pretty much backs up or is in you know in the earth or right. in the earth right it's that, like they that, call it a berm but like yes. we would say that's underground but you, you let's call it a berm <laughs> because yes. it's not a basement it's it's a berm that abuts a wall yes because the rest the of the wall. house right is, the rest of the you know, house is it looks you know at least in terms of how it's 
positioned on the earth looks on the surface looks pretty normal but it is made often made out of you know it's very conscious of using (laughs) yes reusing materials and tires are one of the the big ones and filling them with earth because the the tires play a role structurally and then just also in how they um you know absorb and handle heat and temperature right and because and then you've got a lot of glass on the south um, face, especially the south face. Right. And it's very much, um, you know, controlled by when you open the curtains or the windows and how you open them. And generally along that you walk in generally um, and that south wall is lined with a planter, you know, right. and you've got, bana- right. yes, you've got the bananas. Yes, you've got the bananas trees growing yeah, and yeah. all kinds of food and other plants. And so the, and the water, and I think the water in uh, an earth ship is used four times before it's finished. Really? You know, it comes, yeah. Okay. It comes that's, in that's and new to me. Okay. So they have a whole like gray water, black water recycling. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. I can't remember what the stages are, but like where right. you use it in the kitchen, watering the plants, the shower, yeah, yeah. the toilet, Sure. you know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's cycled and it's structured so that especially in New Mexico or places where it's snow, you've got the flat roof and you catch the snow and it melts and you're catching that water. And that's part of the water that you're using. So, so they're it, very, let me ask you this. Do, is the, is a grass roof part of a earth ship or is it just whatever materials yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It, it, There's a I lot to know that, about it. But. Well, and there could be different variations. I don't know right. that. Like I've seen, I've, the, there's a great um, documentary about Michael. I think his name is Reynolds. Okay. And I think it's called The Garbage Warrior. Oh, nice. And it shows him <laughs> going to India after some kind of climate event. I can't remember which one. And building kind of an, a variation of earth ships in India with a completely different shape. Okay. But they were small and they were simple structures that could be quickly built. So it's hard for me to say exactly. You I think know, it's a more of a I don't know concept. that there's one model. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like as long as yeah. you get the sort of like, this is the goal, right? <laughs> the shape will take it, make itself, I think. Yes. The one yeah. that we're most used to is just sort of like a long the uh, rectangle and it's, you know, this, the South face is the greenhouse side and the other side, the North is like a berm. That's the easiest thing for people to realize. But before we get off it, it's like the idea is, is instead of paying like, like I have a buddy who's got like a house that's way too big and she spent, I think close to $900 on her electric bill for air conditioning. (laughs) Right. An earth ship is passively heated and cooled. Yes. So that means your energy footprint is like, that's the most expensive thing that everybody wastes their money on outside of a house. That's dumb. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. We don't, we don't talk enough about passive heating and cooling. Right. Yeah. You know, Even if, you know, or, I just, I only just learned about what a heat pump is and now mm. I'm, I'm really mad because I bought an, an AC <laughs> like a couple of years ago. Like in 2020, I, I, my whole HVAC system, I replaced it because it was old, right? But I got, yeah. I got one just like it. <laughs> so the only thing that makes me okay with that is that uh, I, I did get solar panels. So I'm only really overpaying for natural gas now. So <clears throat> still can't win. So eventually I want to get one of those earth houses. Uh, <laughs> now, the thing about the earth house is, is 
it's like the regulation structure. Like I don't think you, it's hard to build a um, any old custom house in Vegas. You, yes. Yeah. You know. So it's like you have to go to somewhere that's Earthship friendly and be okay with living there. <laughs> Which I'm okay with. You know, as long as I can. I, I don't want to get another job. So my next house, I'll have to either spend cash or use the proceeds from the house sale kind of idea. Mm-hmm. But I would love to get an Earthship. Well, that's great. <laughs> right? I mean, I think everybody should have an Earthship. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But we need people to be living in more ecologically if, um, efficient. Designed, yeah, yeah. Yes. Efficient Work with places. nature instead of just Against lining it. pockets. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, uh, I want to say, I think it was gas company guy came out to my house to like do an inspection in California. And I was like, why don't houses have batteries? You know, he just looked at me like I had two heads. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's anyway. So, hey, this has been a blast. Um, let's, Let's talk about how people can best get in touch with Laura at richandresilientliving.com. So there is a contact page on my website if right. people want to reach out me to me that way. There, I'm also on social media. I'm pretty active on Instagram and, and TikTok. And both of those, I'm at rich underscore resilient. Nice. Uh, you know, so, and you could check out the shop page on my website, richandresilientliving.com, if you want to learn more about the book Growing Free. And if you're intrigued about this conversation around regenerative investing, I do have a pay what you can beginner's guide called Towards, Re- Towards Regenerative Investing. And that's, that's awesome. available in my shop. And I talk yeah. through, you know, what what's the vocabulary? What does it mean to be thinking about the solidarity economy? You know, Jeffrey, you, you very um, briefly mentioned co-ops and certainly that's something, you know, I, I look at and try to invest in and support. And so, and I also walk through in that guide, you know, some of the things I've found that are available to non-accredited investors, what we can be putting our money in. So just for people who don't know, because I'm not a non I'm a non accredited investor too, but I played one on Pier Street, so <laughs> and they let me get away with it. <laughs> I think the official term, at least when I signed up for Pier Street, was you had to have a net worth of a million or more, something like that. So I fibbed a little and just said yes, and it, yeah. it, it let me go through. <laughs> Yeah, I've done something like that, too. Well, Pier Street's going bankrupt anyway, so unfortunately. Well, you know, they're in Chapter 11. Maybe they'll survive. I hope I get my money back. (laughs) Yeah, I hope you do, too. Laura, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, and I'm going to check out your website and all of these things that I wrote down. Permaculture, slow money, slow food, the next egg we funder, seed invest. Yeah, it sounds awesome. (laughs) Very good. All right. So thanks for being you. (laughs) Well, I'm right back at you. (laughs) You have a good one. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.